0: I'm thankful that we are a praying church family. I'm thankful that we have folks here that can come in and lean on somebody else and give a prayer request. And we have one that's already been given today of a family that's lost someone, and there are others who are struggling with some sickness and struggles. Uh, When we think of of our four main objectives, worship and instruction and fellowship and expression, that idea of fellowship Is where we focus on with that a lot of times. Something special when you have someone that you know will pray for you. I had someone come to me just before the service, and I was praying for them, for a family member that needed Christ, and they shared with me that this family member just got saved, just came to Christ in the past week. And all God's people said, Amen, and now it's not a prayer request, now it's a praise. Do that. Connect with somebody. Have someone here you can have praying for you and you can go to them and then follow through with that. Hold them accountable. You let them hold you accountable. What a wonderful blessing it is to be in God's house today. Would you bow with me in prayer? We'll ask for God's help as we go to our study. Patient Redeemer, loving God, sweet all-knowing Holy Spirit, we thank you for this time where we can gather around your word. And as we have a practice of looking into it on a regular basis, going into your word and seeing it as a mirror, allowing it to refine us, learning more about you, who you are, and our purpose in this world, would you allow us now very clearly, Father, to join together to see your word for what it is, to look at this wonderful, beautiful story and for how it will plug right into our lives as followers of you. We thank you for this time to study. We ask clearly for the Holy Spirit's involvement in teaching. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with kind of an old illustration today, but I think it'll be helpful for us as we jump into this next part of our study in Acts. In a church in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada... Four years after the sinking of the Titanic, a man stood up in that church service and he gave this testimony. I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting along on a spar on that awful night, the tide brought a man towards me and his name was John Harper. He was hanging on to a piece of wreckage and as he neared me, he said, Man, are you saved? No, I'm not, I replied. He said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And the waves took him away. But strange to say, the waves brought him back a little bit later. And he said, Are you saved yet? No, I said. And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then I watched him go down. And he said, There in the night, with two miles of sea under me, I believed, and I was saved. I was John Harper's last convert. I want for us to spend some time talking about the ultimate question that anybody can ask. And I don't want to just talk about this question, but I think I've made a connection here that you're going to be very, very interested in with this question. Because I know that this is a question that many of you would love to have someone come to you and ask you. That is that wonderful question that we're going to see in our text, what must I do to be saved? I think that if you are paying attention as you walk throughout your life, you will find men and women that are searching for, and I'll I'll put it this way, some kind of deliverance in this world. The men and women that are all around us, that are all around us, they're looking for something that would give them satisfaction, Maybe give them deliverance from the void that every man and woman faces. Now, let me just say this. The idea of salvation is not the only thing out there that people will try to tell you will fill that void. Now, if you know Jesus Christ, you'll understand that it is only by grace that we can truly have satisfaction in this world. But there are all kinds of systems that men and women use to fill that void. This is the case with the jailer that we're going to study today. You see, I think as we look at him, he thought he could fill the void in his life with his occupation. In his search for fulfillment, I think his profession was what he thought would do it. And everybody, don't miss this, everybody who does not have salvation will reduce his life to some little box. Some little box that does not actually have meaning. We have some coming up on the screen here. For some people, they're reducing their life to a box that might be money, if I can just get enough money. Or maybe status. I've heard it said about men that power is the thing that is craved more than anything. Some individuals will will reduce their life to maybe a bottle or drugs, maybe We talk about that midlife crisis sometimes, and that new car, maybe that will give somebody the fix that they need. I think it's fair to say this, that everyone will reduce his life to some little box if they do not have Jesus Christ. And countless men and women have put a tremendous amount of their worth, of their life, on one of these things that will not actually satisfy And it doesn't always happen, but a lot of the time, that little box that they've put everything into falls apart. It goes. And these aren't all bad things. I mean, we talk about drugs and alcohol. There are some bad things, that if you give your life to that. But some things can be like family. If you give your entire life and effort to just making your family as good as it possibly can be, many of you know that that can fall apart. We can lose these things so easily. And so when we see this, I think what will help us to connect with our story that we're going to look at today, I think what will help us as we study the Philippian jailer is by, is by asking this question that would lead us to his question. What prompted him to ask this question? What prompted this man to say, what must I do to be saved? One scholar that I was reading said about this. He said, just asking the question is halfway to becoming a Christian. And that threw me back a little bit. I questioned that. Asking the question is halfway to becoming a Christian? And the point is, you cannot become a Christian if you do not ask this question. If you're taking notes and you'd like a a takeaway, I give this on a regular basis. Here's what I want for us to take away. I want for you to be a lifelong learner of what leads somebody else to ask how can I be saved and then be faithful to, be, to do your part in it. Now this is beautiful because it talks about God's part working in someone's life to lead them to this question but it doesn't let you off the hook. It doesn't just let you say well God's in control of all that so I don't have to do anything. No, there's a challenge for you to be doing your part in this work. And I think that in this jailer's life, we see three factors. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. And just so you know, they're very, very close to, um, at the end, what we're going to challenge us as a church family to do. But these three factors that we find, I don't think it's a stretch to say this, in this jailer's life that led him to ask this question. I think it's very helpful. It's not a secret potion. It's not just that if you can get someone to go through these three things that they'll get saved. But I think that it's very fair to say that we'll see these and maybe if we have time at the end I'll tell you a story that I just heard this week about a man who had all three of these happen in his life when he came to Jesus Christ. Let me go ahead and give them to you. Number one, this jailer had to have some kind of exposure to the most basic ideas of Christianity. There had to be an exposure to Jesus Christ in some way. And go ahead and if you're looking for an application, you need to not underestimate, this applies to every one of us who knows Christ, you need to not underestimate the influence of even introducing somebody to the categories of Christianity. I can't really get much more vague than that, can I? Introducing somebody to the categories of Christianity? But you need to not underestimate that because God will use that. They have to have some kind of an exposure to that. And so do not underestimate what you can do with maybe a perfect word of response that God gave you. Maybe there's been times where you've looked back and said, there's no doubt God gave me that word to say to that one I was talking to a friend this past week and he was just talking about interaction with a colleague, someone he works with, and a response they leave on the end of their email messages and how it points you a little bit to something that smacks of Christianity. I don't think it's anything he could lose his job over necessarily, but it definitely sparks something when you see it, when you say, have a blessed day. Don't underestimate what you can do with inviting someone to a church service, coming here to this place. Now, there's a lot of conversation you can have about that. And to be honest with you, when church was originated, it wasn't meant for unbelievers. Having said that, what better place is there for someone to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ than by coming to a place like this? Maybe you can invite them to come to a program to see uh, maybe you know a, a special Christmas cantata or something else. Don't underestimate what God can do with a church service or what God can do with a card. So there needs to be some kind of exposure to to Christianity. We see that in this man's life. Number two, he had a good opinion and respect for some Christians. We're going to jump into this in detail, but I think they were the only Christians that he knew, this Philippian jailer. And he knows that they did not escape from jail when they had the chance. He knows that they were sincere And suffering for their religion. And let me go ahead and ask this question, which is a penetrating question. What would your extended family or what would your co workers think of Christianity if you were the only Christian they knew? If you were the only believer that some of these people knew, the only thing of Christianity, what would they think of Christianity? The jailer said to these men, before he said, What can I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? He called them by name. What did he call them? He called them sirs. He had respect for them. And then finally, he experienced a moment of crisis. We see a crisis of the earthquake, but then a crisis of he was about to commit suicide. And so we're going to look at this. If you're not already there, turn to Acts chapter 16 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 16 And you'll remember, just for a little bit of background, you'll remember this missionary team that's put together, and they had some great success as they go to the city. There was no group of Jews that was meeting, and so they had to go down by the river, and they had great success as we talked last week about Lydia coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then also they encountered this demon-possessed girl who was doing something that was very annoying This demon-possessed girl followed this missionary team, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And she was shouting something as they were going and ministering. She was shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Paul got annoyed with this. Paul turned around and cast the demon out of that girl. And that's why we find them in the spot that they're in today. Because since the source of income... For those men who owned that slave girl was gone, they were mad, and they wanted to get some revenge. They wanted this not to happen anymore. That brings us, we're going to back up to verse 22, which we've already referenced a little bit. Look in chapter 16 of Acts, verse number 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this, received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stalks. Now let me just pause here just for a second and give you a side note that I hope to return at at the end of our time. We see four people on this missionary team, and yet how many folks do we see thrown in jail here? How many is it? It is two people. We see Paul and Silas get thrown in jail and get beaten. What happened with Timothy and Luke? They're part of this team. No doubt they were part of this effort to evangelize the town in God's perfect plan and in God's sovereignty that much of the time only he knows. We'll see what he was doing when we come to the end of our uh, lesson today. It was common for uh, cities that were under Roman rule to have two magistrates to help them keep control now these magistrates as they would be very important in that town they were given some muscle that they could use these magistrates had some people that could go and could inflict some punishment or some pain these guys were called lictors that's a latin word lictors now we're familiar with it a little bit in our culture maybe some of you can remember the old um the old slogan of timex watches Timex, it takes uh, licking and keeps on ticking. So when someone says, I got my licks in, that's where we get this word from. These lictors were ones that would inflict pain. And that's where that expression comes from. And they would brutally beat Paul and Silas. Incidentally, this is one of three such beatings for Paul. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11 about that and tells them what he went through. And the jailer, after these men are beaten, the jailer puts them in the inner prison, and he puts them in stocks. Now, our mind automatically defaults to kind of American history and an individual with their arms up in stocks and maybe their head through something. If you Google that, that's the picture that you'll see. But if you look at this time period and the stocks that were typically used, there was something that was different um, that is implied in that time period And the purpose of those stocks that likely Paul and Silas were put in, the purpose was to stretch the legs. And so as they're put in prison and put in the stocks, they would stretch the legs, and the idea was to stretch them so far that it would actually induce cramping. What worse torture could there be than constant cramping that's going on? And one of the clear applications that we can find from this text, and it wasn't my main application, but we can't ignore it. We have to come to it, and I have to believe that as God is working, there are some of you that need this application for today. We find it in verse number 25. Maybe it'll be an encouragement to you. Maybe it'll be a rebuke to you. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We need to focus just for a short time on this amazing attitude that these two prisoners had. I think it's accurate to say that none of us hearing this message today has suffered anything close to this. And so that's going to lead us to a natural question, and it's a good question to ask. Then why are they singing? Why are these two men, at this time when it looks like the work of the gospel has been stopped, why are they singing? Let me tell you what song they did not sing. They did not sing, Nobody Knows the Trouble I See. They weren't singing that. They weren't singing, I Had a Bad Day. That's not what they were singing. Not at all. They were singing, the Bible tells us, praises to God. And this is where we get things mixed around. This is where we get mixed up, even in the Christian walk. It's a legitimate question to ask. On what basis could they praise God? And here is the basis. They were praising God on the fact that God never changes. God had not changed, even though their circumstances did. This is the idea. If God is worth praising right now, then God is worth praising at any moment Don't miss this. Praising God, the command that we have, has nothing to do with your trouble or with the ease that you might be experiencing in life. Psalm 7, verse 17 says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. We're familiar with Philippians 4 and verse number 4 where it says rejoice in the what? Lord. It doesn't say rejoice in in your circumstances. Don't rejoice just when things are good. Rejoice in the Lord. And a Christian will find himself defeated when he gets his eyes off of God and gets his eyes on his problem. So understand that. This rejoicing is supposed to come through every season of our life. All right, let's spend the remaining time that we have talking about this jailer, this Philippian jailer. We see, first of all, in verses 26 through 29, his confusion. His confusion that we see there. Look in verse twenty six with me. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke woke when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Let's just stop right there just for a moment. As we look at this one who is going through a lot of confusion, maybe he was confused when he heard that singing earlier coming from his jail, thinking maybe he didn't tighten those stocks tight enough perhaps. To the confusion of the earthquake, then to the confusion of he comes in and he checks on the prisoners and he finds out that none of them had left. I have to think that in a sense, God is looking down upon his servants here and God says to those guys, you know, you guys think you can make some noise down there in Sing Sing prison. You think you're good at that down there. Let me show you what some real noise is. And God sends some noise, and it it might be just a secluded area where this earthquake was. It seems there were some things that indicate that. And God says, I'll show you some noise. And so assuming all the prisoners are gone after the doors are opened, the jailer knew this. He knew that for a Roman guard, if he lost a prisoner, the punishment would be whatever the punishment that that prisoner had to take. And there were multiple people that were locked up here, very likely some had death as part of their punishment that was possibly coming. And he understood this, and so he was going to go ahead and take his own life. He's about to fall on his dagger. The word sword there that we see implies a small sword, a dagger. And Paul calls out to stop him. This is such a beautiful part in this story. And how many times have we read this before? And we're excited to get through to the rest of the story, but we need to pause at this area and try to imagine the emotion. Stop! He called out with a loud voice. Don't harm yourself, is what Paul says. And the man stops. Now, I I don't have a whole lot to give you on why the other prisoners did not escape. I don't know if Paul and Silas were able to influence them, I don't know what was going on, but clearly not one prisoner got away and it seems like all of their barriers were gone. But Paul calls out, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Look in verse 30 with me. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So we find his confusion and then we find his dilemma. And then we find his conversion here. He says these famous words, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why this question? Why did he come to this point to ask this question? And I I referenced this earlier. How many of you going through life say, Boy, I wish somebody would come up to me and ask me that question. I've had a desire to tell somebody about Jesus and to win somebody for Christ. And only if somebody would come up and ask me this question. I'm prepared. And it's kind of a pie-in-the-sky thing that we'll say, hoping that someone will come up and approach us. But I want to suggest those things that we saw earlier, and they apply right in this jailer's life. Why did he ask this question? He had some exposure to Christianity. The slave girl was calling out the words, These men proclaim the way of salvation. That was why they got arrested and beaten. I think he probably knew that. In verse number 20, we find that these guys are advocating a way that was not approved by Rome. And as we look at this, it was, it was the case that Rome did have to approve any kind of belief system like this. So it was not approved, and yet these men are proclaiming it, and they're willing to suffer for what they were proclaiming. And then in verse 25, they're singing about their God. The Bible tells us that the other prisoners heard this singing I think it's likely that the guard heard that singing as well. So he had some exposure to Christianity. Let me stop here and just give one little side note that I think is important. And it goes to that original um, illustration that I made that everybody, apart from salvation, will put their life into some kind of a box. And maybe your mind is racing, thinking of different boxes that people have put their life into or maybe that you've put your life into that could fall apart. And I want to just give this commentary. There was another time when a very similar question was asked. It was when the rich young ruler approached Jesus Christ. And do you remember the question he asked Jesus? He said, how can I have eternal life? Jesus Christ did not say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Think back to the story. When Jesus was asked this question, what was the response that he gave to the rich young ruler? It might cause some of us to scratch our heads. He said, you need to go and sell all that you have. Is there any conflict here? Any confusion? Jesus Christ said, you need to go and sell all that you have. Why would he say that to the rich young ruler? It was because he had a barrier that was in place that needed to get out of the way first. He had the barrier of money. And he was going to have to take care of that before he could come for salvation. When we look at the jailer, what barrier did he have left in his life that was between him and coming to God? What was left? There was nothing left. He had been exposed to some basics of Christianity. He had a good experience with these men who were followers of Christ, and now he had something that was earth-shattering literally happen in his life. The jailer had no barrier. Just point me in the direction. That's where he was at. And the answer was a clear one that they could give. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. But don't miss what it says in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. There's some teaching that goes on here, and as they hear this gospel presentation, it's so beautiful and so sweet, and all those things combined bring this man to Jesus Christ. And if you know Christ today, you'll meet him someday. You can say, you know, I thought about you years ago. I learned something about your conversion, if in fact God is using these things. I want to cover the last few verses uh, before I can, and then we'll uh, do our uh, Or What Can You Do section. But I want to read 35 through 40 quickly because it is important. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us in prison and do they now throw us out secretly no let them come themselves and take us out the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard when they heard that they were roman citizens so they came and apologized to them they came and took them out and asked them to leave the city so they went out of the prison and visited lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. So very, very quickly, we find that Paul and Silas did not just leave quietly. They kind of said, you go get those old boys. You tell them to come over here. We've got something to say to them, is what they said. They're going to have to come. They're going to have to take them out themselves. You see, these guys were Romans. Paul and Silas were Romans. Timothy and Luke were not Romans. Look what God's doing here. Do you, do you see it? They were beaten without a trial and being Roman citizens, these magistrates could be in big trouble for this. You see what God is doing? All these things all these details, God is figuring them out. God is ironing out the wrinkles, as I like to say, as only he can do. And he's doing something beautiful here. And it's not just that they could, you know, puff their chest a little bit because they're followers of Jesus. I think it goes beyond that. Because what they leave is a church. This church in Philippi that's going to be made up of Lydia, and anybody, anybody that she influenced, including her family, and this jailer and his family and as they leave i think that it's very very intentional that this happens so that the last idea that the entire community had about that church wasn't just that it was a couple troublemakers that got beaten in public and then we're not sure what happened to those guys oh no you tell them to come and they have to come and they have to let us out themselves publicly just like they put us in here and i think god is watching out for his church as we see that what a beautiful plan our god has as we look at this and we look at what we can do i've already given them to you and usually when i ask what we can do i'll give the the maybe the statement and then specifically how you can do it i don't have the specific for you today You're going to have to just apply this right to your own life today. But what can you do that we learn from this story? Well, first of all, you need to to expose people to your faith in God. You need to not be afraid of this. I'm not asking you to get on a soapbox downtown and with a megaphone and start shouting. You can do that if God leads you that way but I'm asking you to expose people that you have connection with to your faith in God. This does mean that you cannot apply that popular expression of the two things that we never talk about. We never talk about politics or religion. Don't don't worry about that. You need to scrap that idea if you're wanting to influence somebody towards asking the question, what do I need to do to be saved? They need to have some kind of exposure to your faith in God. And then number two, this kind of goes, it it, it dovetails uh, with the first one, but you need to watch carefully how you walk. You need to watch very carefully how you walk. And even this morning as I was going over this, every one of you has influence, you'll have an impact in different areas, you'll have people that maybe you have no idea what God is doing to lead them to that point. And so when you're about to do something in your life and maybe you're on the fence, you're not sure if you should do it or not, maybe the Holy Spirit's saying no or you're not quite sure, I want you to consider this. Watch how you are walking. And when you're considering how you're going to conduct yourself, have this question in mind. Is this going to hinder any opportunity that I might have point this one to Jesus Christ just allow that to be a guideline in your life watch carefully how you walk walk in wisdom walk in love this jailer respected these two men he called them sirs and it was when his little box fell apart and that takes us to our last thing keep your eyes open to people whose world might be falling apart individuals now it doesn't happen to everybody this way can I just ask this question? How many of you, to the best of your knowledge, you, you, you got saved or you asked Jesus to save you before the age of 10? Can you ask you to raise your hand? Before the age of 10, raise your hand up high. All right, my hand's up with that. I think I was too. Okay, put your hands down. It's likely that if you were saved at a young age, this wasn't the case with you. You didn't have your entire world put into, you know, what, what could it be before the age of 10? You know, being picked first for the kickball team, you know, what could it be, you know? God doesn't always work this way, so don't get stuck on that. But the truth is, it's very, very common that he does work this way. And so when someone's little box does fall apart, you need to have your eyes opened. You need to have already done number one and number two. Because they're going to be searching for meaning somewhere, and they might go to a bottle. They might go to some other faith system. You know, I've heard the conversation about individuals that are raised in a Christian home. And I've had somebody even tell me, well, I think probably the only reason that you're a Christian is because you got raised in a Christian home. I've heard people say that. And you know, it's, it's not a far-fetched idea. It makes a bit of sense, right? I mean, your, your family is going to have a huge influence on you. Having said that, don't allow that to hinder the influence or impact that you might have on someone younger that is watching you. You need to do your best to expose them to this because when they are searching, you need to not be saying, well, it might be Christianity or it might be, and you fill in the blank with any other faith system or system that the world would seek to get satisfaction. Be ready for when someone's world falls apart. Now, I, I, I love testimonies. And I love that we share these things. And so if someone does, out of the blue, come up to you and say, hey, you know what, what must I do to be saved? I want you to come and tell me. I mean, mean, tell me like the next time you see me, go ahead and give me a call even. Let me know that because I want to hear that. I'll probably even talk about it someday. But also, if you're able to experience number one and number two and number three of this, come to me and tell me. And by the way, tell the person next to you and tell the one that's been praying for you how beautiful God's plan is that he takes individuals who could have who could have never seen the I, I imagine the day before this jailer would have never seen himself falling on his knees and asking, "What do I need in my life to be saved?" and yet he does it. We stand in a spot where we can be faithful and we can be God's messengers to bring salvation and that message to those who need that. Be faithful in these ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your plan for the gospel is clear and we thank you for the variety of ways that you use as we study this history book of the New Testament, the variety of ways that you used to save people, to give the message out, God, I thank you for that. And I thank you that as we see your power and your knowledge that you didn't put yourself into a box. Clearly people needed to know the gospel message, but there are so many different ways that we can do that. With with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Anna just to play through just a little bit of a song. I'm gonna give you a chance to talk to God today. Maybe you need to ask God to save you today. Maybe you've put your life in some kind of a box that's never going to really satisfy. Maybe it's fallen apart. Maybe it's not. Maybe things are going great. I would invite you to come to Christ today if you don't know him. Ask him to forgive you. Make you his king. Make him your king. Maybe there's someone here You need to practice these. The witness that you can have by demonstrating living what you believe will send so many messages. Maybe there's somebody on your heart. Would you, if you can think of a name right now, someone that needs Christ, pray for them right now that you might be able to influence them as they watch you and pray that you would keep your eyes open for those opportunities when you can answer that question, what they need to do to be saved. Pray for them by name right now. you stand